So we're having quite a day of it, aren't we? <laughs> it's like uh, the elements have decided to uh, kind of really let us feel their power on the last full day of the retreat. And I'm sure you've, you've been kind of practicing with that through the day. Just, uh, just seeing how how affected we are, yeah, how sensitive we are as beings, how uh, not separate we are. It's a real um, real teaching on on not self. <laughs> yeah, how the the mind states, the body how impacted they are and then how experience is then impacted through that. So I want to begin the talk with, uh, with a story. And uh, this is a story from, uh, from the leprosy community that uh, Nathan and I have been spending time in for the last uh, 15 years now uh, in India, central India. And um, we, we go there every year and uh, with a group of, of volunteers and we practice there both formal meditation like we've been doing here, silent meditation, but also meditation in action, meditation in service. Um, and a lot of the work that we do there in, the, in this amazing uh, community is in uh, what we call the wisdom bank, the the place where the elderly people live, um, those who can no longer uh, can't be independent or can't work um, fully anymore. So they they live in a in a particular part um, of the community. And uh, I'll just say a couple more sentences about this because I can't resist, even though the story isn't exact, isn't actually about what we do there. <laughs> um, we spend a lot of time there in the wisdom bank, and we do things like massage and brushing hair, and uh, sometimes helping with washing and laundry and things like that. Um, but this this time, um, this particular story was. Um, I was I was walking around all the rooms and I was I was doing an inventory of something I don't remember what it was. Um, so I had my phone with me. I had my phone in my hand because I was making a list on my phone as I was walking around. And uh, as I as I walked into one of the rooms, one of the elderly gentlemen was walking out, and when he saw my phone, he kind of kind of whole being kind of sparked up and he um, asked me in kind of a few words of communication that we have and a lot of body language if he could use my phone to make a phone call and uh, I, I said yes and uh, then you know we had this whole process of, of making the phone call happen <laughs> which was you know quite beautiful so we're sitting out in the court in the have these courtyards um, between the rooms, we were sitting in the courtyard, and he was kind of taking out his little bag of his prized possessions, which included a little piece of paper that had um, phone numbers on it of his sons, and um, 
maybe I'll just pause here and just say that um, most of the people in the community, especially the older generation, a lot of them um, have been rejected by their families because of leprosy. So for many of them, they don't have contact um, with their families at all. So he's, um, you know, some, sometimes with the older generations, the, the children, once they've grown up, have come and look for their parents and re-establish contact. And I don't know if this was one of those situations or not, but in any case, he had his son's phone numbers and he kind of took them out and then we were in the process of, you know, dialing and the first number was a wrong number and then dialing another number and then someone answered um, but then he couldn't hear and as we were doing this you know a few other people from the from the wisdom bank were gathered <laughs> and they were all very helpful you know like someone suggested that you know I turn the volume up on the phone and someone else suggested that I put it on speaker which really helps you can't hear well um, and eventually it worked and there he was talking to his son on the phone, uh, on speaker. <laughs> and you could really hear the joy in the voice of the son, yeah, and the joy in the voice of the father as they were speaking to each other. It was such a precious opportunity, yeah. Something as simple as a phone call. And I was standing there kind of mesmerized and if you look at my face, I, I looked like this. I was just, I just felt so full of joy. Um, so touched, so full of joy. You know, in their joy, in this connection. And then I, I kind of looked, I was mesmerized by this, you know, beautiful man talking. And I looked up and I saw a few, there were two or three of the other elderly gentlemen there who had helped. I looked at them, they were sitting at a little bit of a distance um, on, a, on a bench. I looked at them and they were also like me. You know, they were like, just kind of so in that joy, yeah, so in that love, so in that, yeah, that connection. And it really, um, it really blew me away. Yeah. Again, particularly saying what I've just said, you know, knowing that possibly they don't have children they can call. Yeah, they certainly didn't ask me to. Yeah, and yet that capacity to fully feel the joy for someone else was very, very palpable. That kind of sense of being touched and the sense of togetherness, the sense of togetherness. And I, I just want to stop here for a moment and just ask you to check for yourself what you're feeling right now. Yeah, when you, just from hearing this story and whether it's possible that the joy or the tenderness from this place in India <laughs> it's very very far away from something that happened a few years ago is it possible that that is now in you in some way 
and you can nod or shake your head according to what's appropriate. Yeah. And yeah, I could just stop here <laughs> with this talk because this is actually what I want to say. that there's something about our neutrality, there's something about us <laughs> that can be touched, yeah, that um, can open and open in a way that dissolves boundaries of me and you. It dissolves boundaries of place and time. Yeah. And in many ways, um, this is a part of what Nathan was talking about yesterday and this morning. Yeah, this not-self. This is not-self, what you've just been experiencing. Yeah. It's the fact that our experience and our sense of self, our self, uh, is not independent of other. It's not separate from other. It includes. Yeah. It includes. It's another way of saying it, and this was coming up in one of the one to ones today, that it's bigger than. <laughs> yeah. So when we talk about not self, um, sometimes it can feel as if we're negating experience. And actually it's the opposite. We're embracing experience. It's bigger than we think it is. Yeah. It's wider than we take it to be. And part of what we've been doing here, the practices, all the practices we've been doing are about this. Yeah, We've been inclining the mind to particular ways of looking like metta, like the ways of looking, the three characteristic ways of looking, anicca, dukkha, anatta, yeah? Like generosity today, yeah? We inclined the mind, we incline the mind in particular ways, we tune in to particular frequencies um, that are there. And what is revealed when we do that? What is revealed when we do that is beyond um, me and mine. Yeah, it's not limited to me and mine. So in that experience just now and me sharing that story and yeah, even I'm just saying that story and I, I feel it again. <laughs> it's like whoosh, it comes up. That that feeling, yeah, that sense um, is not mine. It's not me. Yeah, it's not my joy, <laughs> right? And that was part of what was so palpable about that particular experience. It was so clear. I'm, I'm not getting anything out of it, <laughs> if we put it really kind of grossly. Yeah. And yet I'm getting everything out of it. <laughs> You know, getting the most important things out of it because the heart is open to feel the joy, to feel the pain, 
which in that situation they're both there to feel the joy and to feel the pain and so in those moments you know one way of saying that it's we can't differentiate where does my joy begin and someone else's um, where does my joy end and someone else's joy begin yeah (laughs) can we find that boundary yeah and that points to the fact that actually we can also feel where do I end and someone else begin yeah where is that boundary it just isn't there it just isn't there in that particular situation so it's an experiential um, taste yeah of this emptiness of this not self you know to very related teachings Um, seeing how our experience arises dependent or including (laughs) in inclusion of others depending on countless conditions including um, as as we've been saying what we incline the mind to so as we incline the mind in certain ways as we cultivate certain ways of looking um, you know that increases the likelihood (laughs) that we will find ourselves in this kind of experience or in this kind of um, taste. So I want to I want to ask you a question um, if if you can kind of trace back to some of the practices we were doing and, and And notice if um, when we were practicing um, the welcoming attitude towards neutral sensations in the body. Does anyone remember that? I think it was yesterday afternoon. (laughs) Did you notice if the neutral feeling changed? Did anyone notice when you were welcoming the neutral, did it change? in any way? Did it stay neutral or did it change? Okay, yes, Rosie. You think it changed? Do you remember in what way? Um, Well, just lighter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, positive, I guess. Mm -hmm. And the more attention I gave, the neutral became quite nice. Mm Mm-hmm. So the more attention you gave, the neutral became more pleasant. Yeah, more nice. Yeah. Yeah, that can definitely happen. Anyone else have a kind of a, a, a glimmer of that? Um, I can't remember them during the, yesterday, but kind of over the week. Yeah. Um, like sort of numb feeling that you get in your legs when you've been sat for a while. Yeah. It started to feel quite good. Like as soon as I sat down that time, Yeah. it just was comfortable. Mm. Yeah, so changed from an unpleasant or a neutral feeling, a numb feeling, to something that felt good. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, great. So, two examples of that. And with, um, and again, I don't know if anyone remembers with a meta practice um, when we sent meta to a neutral person. Does anyone or being, does anyone remember that? I think I think there was also like sending meta to life forms on other planets or something. I think that also happened. 
Did, did you notice anything around those seemingly neutral or unknown people or beings? Did something change there as you were sending the meta? Yeah, some nods. What changed? Anyone want to say? Familiarity uh-huh. with that person. So there was a sense of yeah, some familiarity. Mm. Yeah. Like a sense of like wanting to just like give more to that person. Mm-hmm. So if I ever came across I don't know, I just felt like an imprint of like the next sort of stranger or neighbour, you know, mm-hmm. want to give them more attention. I was quite moved actually by the neutral person. Uh-huh. So feeling quite moved by the neutral person, yeah, and feeling like you want to give more to the neutral person. Yeah. Anything else? It's all great stuff. Yeah. It's felt more friendly. And you felt more friendly, yeah, yeah. So this is, this can be really interesting. Those these two examples. Sometimes with practice, what we find is that as we pay attention. Um, I, you know, when particularly, it can be just with interest, but particularly when we bring in the meta attitude, either through the welcoming, receptive quality or through the, the active, um, intentional meta, the relationship to the neutral person starts to change or the neutral sensation. And actually, the, sen- the neutral sensation can become pleasant. Um, I remember one person coming to us after a retreat. And saying, declaring, he's, he's a wonderful student of mine, and he declared there's no such thing as the neutral, <laughs> because as soon as you give attention to the neutral, it actually becomes pleasant. That was his experience. He was saying there's no such thing as the neutral. Um, and equally, people um, reporting, you know, that especially if you work with a particular neutral uh, person and with meta practice over some time, um, then um, that starts to be one of your favorite people in the world. And, um, you know, you get some funny stories of, um, you know, someone, I, I can't remember who told me the story. It's, it's, a, it's a fellow teacher, but I don't remember who, who told me, you know, that they, they were working with a neutral person, kind of in their circle of acquaintance um, for quite some time. And, and then it started getting quite embarrassing because every time they'd meet that person, they'd be like, really warm, you know, really kind of like, you know, really kind of, how are you, you know, and and it seemed like, you know, and the person was like, what's going on, you know, we don't have this kind of relationship, I barely know you, Um, but it becomes the kind of, the the dear, the dear person, yeah, And, and that is through the inclination of the mind, yeah, how we incline the mind, and when we incline the mind, or see somebody in a, through a particular lens, or something, yeah, it changes. It changes, and again, this is um, this is emptiness. Yeah, this word it's so, it's so interesting, isn't it? Like emptiness sounds so bleak, and yet what it points to is this conditioned nature. Yeah, this conditionality of things that we can play with. Yeah, yeah that we can play with, that we can work with, that we can attend to. So emptiness is no thing exists separately. Yeah, no thing exists separately. And when we say it like that, <laughs> I sometimes get this warm feeling. <laughs> yeah, because so much of our, um, so much ignorance in, in ourselves and in the world around that sense of being separate, around that sense of being alone, around that sense of being 
am disconnected from others. So no thing stands alone, independent of other conditions. And, you know, we can see that in our own body. It's one of my favorite contemplations. You know, if we, if we kind of fe- think about, you know, Nathan was playing with this um, a lot. I think it wasn't even yesterday. It was in the previous talk around the, the relationship to the body. But I don't think we've said this yet. Maybe you've said it this morning. I don't know. <laughs> um, we, this is my body, right? My body. And, and we say that, yeah, all, all the time. We think that, we say that, we treat it like that. We completely ignore the fact that there's, I think, an infinite number of other organisms living in this body. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we forget that. Yeah. And not only are they sharing it, they're actually keeping it alive, right? Like we... We, I, this body, <laughs> wouldn't exist without the, the different bacteria yeah, that are living in it and keeping it alive, digesting the food. Yeah. That's like, what happens when we think like that? You know, so we kind of, kind of zoom in to the detail. Yeah? Zoom into the detail of, of this particular thing. So, you know, it's conditioned. It's not separate. It's made up of so many different things. And we can also zoom out and see that. Yeah, the history. Yeah, you know, if you think, you know, in this, the beautiful um, meditation you can do called ecological remembering, where you, you kind of go back in time through your own body and, and you feel, you know, the fin, <laughs> fins of fish and the crawl, crawling of the reptiles out of the oceans, you know, that's, that's all here. You know, we zoom out and we look over time. Yeah, we share our DNA is mostly shared with most living creatures. Because I can't remember what the percentage is, but it's really high. Yeah. And, of course, the particular history of our families, you know, we go back and back and back. That all is, is here, so we can kind of see the conditions, see the detail in, in the detail and also in the big picture. Yeah, that it does, this is not an existence that's separate. Yeah. It's empty. Yeah. Empty and Thich Nhat Hanh, the, the Vietnamese master, he says, you know, emptiness means fullness. Yeah, so we can say it like that also, full, full of everything else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I think today we're playing with this, with not me, not mine, and also with not just me, not just mine. Yeah, we can really give this sense of the fullness. So, we've had a lot of insights on, on this retreat, yeah, I, a lot of insights. I know, because I've listened to you, <laughs> and I've only heard the tip of the iceberg, you know, that's not, 
the totality of what's been going on. So we've had a lot of insights on this retreat. And something about insights is that um, we don't just have them, yeah, and then kind of forget about them or kind of write them in our journal and then they can live there. Yeah, insights are something that we need to live. Yeah, they, they need to be lived. They need to be applied. They need to be practiced. Yeah. There's a, a teacher called Gregory Kramer that uh, Nathan and I both really like, and, and he always says, you know, all teachings are practices. Yeah, There's no teaching that isn't a practice. And I would say there's no insight that doesn't need to be lived, doesn't need to be practiced. And these insights um, can be a guiding light, yeah, for us, like a um, like a lighthouse, yeah, kind of helping us stir our way through life. And they can also be ways of looking that we apply, yeah, that we remember, yeah, oh, I saw that, you know, or this happened. In this set of conditions, this happened. Now, what would it be to look at this experience, to look at this moment, to attend to this situation through that understanding, through that insight? Yeah, just like putting on those like glasses that we can put on. Yeah. So what would it be, you know, and it can be the particular practices we've been doing that we can use, but also your own particular insights, yeah, of things that you've seen, things that have touched you, things that have moved you. How, you know, what would it be to live this moment, to live this interaction, to look at the situation through that insight? That's our practice for the rest of our lives. So we can use them to kind of loosen up our habitual ways of being. And as conditions change tomorrow, the habits will, you know, they'll get some new juice. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So the habitual ways, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll be there. Yeah. They'll come back or they'll gain some, some force, some of them at least. And so we can... Um, use the insights we've had, we can use the wisdom we've cultivated, we can use the metta and the generosity we've attuned to, um, to loosen up those habitual patterns and to align more fully, more deeply with, um, with what we really know, yeah? with what we really aspire to. You know, remembering yeah, that everything arises and passes, everything is in constant and changing. Remembering that dukkha's contraction. I just have to tell you this. I was teaching in Israel a couple of weeks ago, and someone came up to me and said, "I just need to, just need one minute of your time." And he told me that he had done a retreat with me about, I don't know, eighteen months before, and that dukkha is in the contraction, <laughs> stayed with him, yeah, for those eighteen months. You know, so we can remember whatever is touchy, whatever stands out. Yeah. Remember that when there's contraction, there's dukkha. Remembering that 
lasting happiness does not come from things that are changing and conditioned. Yeah, you can use that. Yeah, you can use that again and again. Remembering that there, um, that nothing has an independent, fixed essence or nature. Yeah, emptiness, not self. No thing has a fixed, independent nature. Separate nature. Everything, including this one, as we've just explored, is dependent on other things, on countless conditions. And also, and this is really important, everything is a condition for the arising of other things. Okay? So it's an, it's an ongoing process. Yeah, I can say, I am conditioned. This is conditioned. But this is also a condition. Yeah? For the arising of other things. And I love this. <laughs> you know, and, and, and I just want us to look at this. So it's, it's kind of, um, it's not theoretical. So, if we look at this cushion, it's a bit heavy, so I'm not going to pick it up. But if we look at a cushion, we can see that, you know, a cushion is dependent. Yeah? It's dependent on things like the cover and the filling to be a cushion. Right? If it didn't have a cover and if it didn't have a filling, it wouldn't be a cushion. Right? Are we agreed on that? Yeah, great. And the filling and the cover are also dependent on other things, right? On the materials they're made from, on the stitching, on the weaving, on where those materials were grown or made, on the people that put it together, on what they ate. on the parents that gave birth to them. And it's also, and that goes on and on and on. So again, Thich Nhat Hanh, if I quote him, he says, you know, you can see the whole world in any one thing. Yeah, the whole world in any one thing. The whole world. Yeah, the sun and the rain and the earth and the creatures in any one thing. And it's also dependent on our perception of it. Yeah, this cushion. Yeah. If we didn't know it was a cushion, would it be a cushion? (laughs) Yeah. Or would it just be a weird thing? Yeah. So it's also dependent on our perception of it. And this cushion is also a condition for other things. Yeah, remember this? This is the part we often forget. Yeah. For example, a cushion is a condition for a meditation hall. Yeah. Ever seen a meditation hall with no meditation cushions in it? (laughs) I think occasionally they exist. But it's definitely a, a helpful condition for a meditation hall. It's also a condition for our meditation practice. We're all sitting on cushions. Yeah. So it's a condition for our practice. 
that thing. It's also a condition for gathering dust. It's very important if you have dust allergies like me. Which makes it also a condition for the lives of dust mites. So, you know, what would it mean if we look at that condition and we think, this is somebody's home. Yeah, that's somebody's home. Yeah, again, that kind of, you know, can really... I think I'm the most excited person in the hall about this, but it really <laughs> blows my mind, you know, when I look at things in that way. It really blows my mind. You know, we can take anything, yeah, anything, a word, a look, a drop. It's conditioned and it's a condition. Yeah, the other things are dependent on. I forgot I had this part here. So we can also say in the same kind of game that we're playing, that I'm playing, that this talk, yeah, is dependent, yeah? A talk is dependent. It's dependent on your listening. Yeah. Sometimes as as Dharma teachers, we have to record talks without anyone there listening to us. It's very, very weird. Yeah, talking to empty space. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, the talk is, and I can really say that, you know, from my experience, is dependent on the listening. Yeah. And listening is dependent on the state of the body, your body and my body. Yeah. And it also is dependent on the state of our minds. Do you see that? Yeah, so it's dependent. Yeah, and it's also a condition. <laughs> yeah, it's also a condition. And the state and the habits of our mind are dependent on how and what we incline the mind to. Yeah, the state and the habits of the mind depend on what we incline the mind towards. So the kind of, you know, when I ponder this, I I tend to get to the same conclusion, which is, you know, if everything, if everything is conditioned, everything is conditioned, everything is changing, and if perception and experience are partly conditioned by the state of the mind, yeah, the state of the mind. Does anything make sense apart from cultivating a mind that is wise, peaceful, and loving? Does anything make sense to do with a human life than that? Everything is conditioned and changing. And part of those conditions are in the mind arise from the mind, depend on the state of the mind. Does anything make sense except to cultivate a mind that is wise, peaceful and loving for our own well-being and the well-being of others? So 
So when we look through the lens of emptiness like we've just done just now, we can see that the more metta, the more compassion, the more wisdom we cultivate, the more we incline the mind to that, the more natural a state these will become for our mind and the more they will manifest in the world through us. Yeah, Manifest in the world through us. We can see that. And equally, the more we look at life through the wisdom lens, seeing change, seeing impermanence, seeing dependency, yeah, emptiness. Yeah. The more we do that, the more metta arises naturally. Yeah. That response of care, that response of friendliness, that response of compassion arises naturally. And I want to give an example of this um, from my own experience, so you don't just need to believe that kind of proclamations but actually something from my own experience that hopefully will um, illustrate this this relationship so this is um, both Nathan and I used to do a lot of live in care work um, as a supplement to teaching uh, nowadays we teach full time and by some miracle uh, are supported by, by Dana um, but we used to do a lot of care work and this is from a, a care work a care job that I, I did quite a few years ago and uh, it was with um, a lady that um, had a quite severe dementia um, that both affected her speech and affected her perception and she, um, th- the effect of the dementia was such that she, um, she was very unhappy most of the time um, and also tended to, um, she, she had kind of hallucinations of um, seeing enemies around her. So... Um, it was very much the carers that were there, but sometimes it would also be the wall or a curtain or, you know, just a, an object that would seem like like an enemy. Um, and she would have arguments with, with them. Um, and then because of the level of frustration also to do with the lack of, of language, um, she would get physically aggressive. Um, and sometimes, you know, hit the wall. Or, um, and it was the same with us. We, we, we would have to be, there would have to be two carers with her because she would also get um, sometimes aggressive towards us, um, you know, because she couldn't, didn't understand who we were or why we were there. And so the, the way her mind was working was to see us as somebody who's there to, to hurt her. And so she would, she would sometimes get um, aggressive. And so whatever we were doing, whether it was feeding her or helping her dress or wash, 
um, always one carer was doing that task and the other carer had to be there and watch so that we could stop, you know, if she was hitting or grabbing, that we could stop that from happening. It's quite, as you can feel, quite a difficult, painful situation um, to be in. Um, and so one thing to see there is how the, the, you know, in that kind of situation, the, the mental fabrication overlays reality, right? So a curtain or a wall or someone who's there to help you, sometimes it was even her children and they'd come to visit, they become the enemy. Uh, they, they're perceived as something else. And the interesting thing was to also see, for me, as a practitioner, yeah, to see internally what was going on for me in that situation. So I know <laughs> yeah, that it's not intentional, right? I know that she can't help it. I know that this is what she's seeing. It's a product of her mind. She doesn't mean it. And yet, the conditioning is so strong that it's very difficult not to take it personally, yeah? To feel, oh, she hates me, yeah? And of course, you know, being in that state of alert also is, is kind of enhances that, right? Because the body needs to be on, on some kind of alert. So the, the conditioned reactivity is very strong. And again, the, the, some of the time that mental fabrication conditioning overlays reality yeah overlays the the facts in in the actual experience does that make sense to people yeah it's really interesting to to see really really interesting to see but thankfully yeah there's practice yeah so there's the capacity to know this is going on to say okay this is affecting me in this way right? I'm, I'm conditioned. I'm not separate. I can't control completely how I am. It's affecting me. When someone, you know, perceives me as an enemy, that affects me. Yeah? So I can see that. I can feel that in the body. And I can know to work with it. Yeah? To work with it. So to feel the body, to relax contraction as much as I can, to stay rooted in ways of looking, of wisdom, and of metta, and of compassion. Yeah. Just as constant reminders that support to stay in, in that situation and not to get caught up in, in the habitual way of, of seeing things and not to feed it. So holding of the space instead of being reactive, even internally. Yeah, even internally reactive, obviously not externally. And that allows, yeah, that allowed, um, and that allows for all of us um, a wise response to a really tricky situation, yeah. So, in, in, for example, realizing that, okay, if our presence triggers, yeah, triggers a sense of um, defensiveness, yeah, in her, then it's wise to limit that triggering <laughs> as much as possible. So if both of us are there, if one of us has to be within eyesight, but the other one can be behind, for example. 
Yeah. And there was something again about about the way her mind was affected that if someone was behind her, she didn't seem to that didn't have the same effect. Yeah. It wasn't perceived as a threat. So there's that that wisdom that comes in, and a wise response. Okay, so and I, and I remember one time it was a meal time and the other carer was feeding and I was in charge of of trying to manage the the potential aggression. And I moved to stand behind her. I was standing behind, just watching from there, still able to, you know, to do what, you know, to grab her arms if I needed to. And then I noticed that as I was standing behind her and I was grounded and present, open, it felt to me like something in her relaxed also. And I had this intuition. I thought, okay, what if I just bring my hands a little bit closer to her back? Yeah, I wasn't touching, but just a little bit closer to the back. What would happen? And then I I noticed that she relaxed a little bit more. Yeah. And then I, I decided to try and just gently lay my hands on her back. Yeah, with contact of warmth and care. And she relaxed even more. Yeah. And that meal just went by. There was no, um, there was no conflict in that meal. There was no conflict. There was a real sense. And and then we started adopting that. So also, when um, she had to go, uh, we had to take her from one room to the other, which was always a big drama realized that if I just stood behind her and put my hands on her back, no one was in front, I just put my hands on her back, not pushing, <laughs> then she would, she would then be able to, you know, to, to go from one room to the other where she needed to go without conflict, without a sense of threat. Yeah. And it, you know, it can seem like a small thing but like for me, it was so palpable that the difference, you know, to think in that kind of reality that she's in, her reality, where everything is a threat, where any contact is painful and difficult, to have less of that and to actually have a contact which is perceived by another part of the brain, yeah? To have a contact that is warm and soothing and caring. What a difference. What a difference that can make. So this is a kind of extreme story, but I I wanted to share it uh, because this is something we can embody ourselves in, in many, many ways. Yeah. This is what the practice is about. Yeah. We do the practice, we cultivate these nourishing ways of looking so that we can respond to life, to others, to the world yeah. in, in ways that are wholesome, in ways that are supportive and nourishing. So we can always remember that we can ground in the body, we can ground in the breath, we can relax 
into the body. We can remember metta and compassion as attitudes that we can bring in. We can remember generosity. We can remember wisdom, yeah, emptiness, impermanence. Yeah, all of these things that we're exploring here. You know, wherever we are, yeah, at the checkout in the supermarket, with our children, with our parents, <laughs> yeah. in a traffic jam, when we're brushing our teeth. You know, there's countless opportunities all the time we can bring this in. Yeah, we can bring this in. And whenever we remember to do that, you know, whenever we remember to do that, we're nourishing that momentum of awakening, that momentum of love, that momentum of wisdom in ourselves and in the world. Every drop matters, has significance. So intentionally bringing wholesome ways of looking to how we view ourselves and others. Yeah, we can do that. Seeing someone, not just as the present appearance, but having that bigger view. And they have a history. Something might have just happened a moment ago or, you know, 15 years ago that's impacting their behavior right now. How does that affect our relationship when we remember that? Yeah. When we see someone not just as how they are presented to us in the moment, but we remember, ah, this... This person was a child, yeah? You know, this person has fun. (laughs) You know, this person knows pain. You know, what happens when we remember that about somebody, about anybody? Not as a way of uh, making us passive. This is really important, yeah? It's not about passivity. It's not about, oh, you know, I don't know what's going on with someone, therefore, you know, I just become a doormat. It's not about passivity. It's actually about engaging from a much wider base, a much wider base and wiser base, and from a strength that's rooted in integrity. We keep doing what we can you know, keep doing what we can, knowing that it's not in our hands, but that our involvement matters. Remember? Conditioned and conditioning. <laughs> so everything we do matters. Everything we do, all our choices, all our words, all our actions. And again, this can, sometimes I say this, and again, I find it really fantastic. Some people find it <laughs> kind of, oh my goodness, <gasps> what a responsibility. Ability to respond, possibility, yeah. We don't need to get every single thing we do right. We just need to remember as often as we can that we're part of this network of life, part of this network of conditions. And what we do has an impact. So can we remember that? Yeah. And remember our aspiration to prioritize wisdom, to prioritize non-harming, to prioritize care. 
and to prioritize all the quality that nourish well-being in the world, in ourselves and in others. Gratitude, clarity, generosity, compassion, equanimity, patience, endless, endless wholesome qualities that are there for us to nourish and to nurture. So the world needs us, and we need the world. <laughs> yeah, But the world needs us, and can that be something that empowers us? Yeah. Empowers us towards love and towards wisdom, and towards walking this path, one step at a time. So let's end here for this evening. We'll just have a, a quiet moment together to bring this to a close. May our practice together nourish the well-being and the freedom of all beings everywhere. And may our practice together nourish peace and harmony in all beings, amongst all beings, everywhere. So thank you for your listening and for your presence. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.